How's everybody tonight? Huh? Welcome. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. But before that, good evening, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. And I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Hey, Chris. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start that there meditation in a minute. So let's take a moment to get situated. Spread out, get comfortable. Everybody sit up straight. Try to be as uncomfortable as you can. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. The coffee area is open, but... Oh, that's right. We're out of coffee. Sorry. Coffee's closed. But we still got some donuts and mineral water back there. Uh, Also, if you could please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath, feel it go in through your nose, let it sit in your lungs and marinate around a little bit, and then let it out with a little bit of noise. Like, Seriously, try doing that for three minutes, and you will be so calm at the end of this time. You'll love it. Take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on tonight's So if you want to close the door so people don't come in and distract us, we're going to turn the lights off now for three minutes. Uh, As we like to say, enjoy your time with God. Sit back and enjoy. Thank you. 
to uh, do the mute version of the Fog Light Prayer, which is the version, God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. And let's have our secretary's report. Tanisha is our yes, secretary. Tanisha, give her some excitement to get her up there. Woo! My name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Tanisha. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states, every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are now going around. And I've asked Terrence to read the recover statement. Terrence. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hi, I'm an alcoholic, Terrence. Hey, Terrence. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That, present, that presents a conflict for some alcoholics. If we are cured, we are not able to drink responsible. We would be able to drink responsible. No, we are not cured. An allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem, alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now saying we are alcoholics. We, we are alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we are recovered. Thank you, Terrence. 1940-style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. In the back, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. We also have flyers back there that you can also welcome yourself to. In the back, you'll also find... Um, a flyer for our Thursday night's meeting, Step Series Workshop, 12 Steps in 12 Weeks. We have Pat R. coming up. Starts October 10th. Mm. Workshop begins at 7.15. But like I always say, show up at 5.30 to help set up. That's a form of service, by the way. And 6.30, we have Fellowship. We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15 right here. And we ask that you be courteous and be ready to begin at the road to recovery tune. Oh, one more thing. Anyone here representing the BCIC? Okay, well, if you didn't know what that is, it's the Broward County Intergroup Institutions, Institutions Committee. Committee. I apologize. What do they Which do? Is who is in charge of bringing the H&Is? Anyone here has ever been in a treatment center and just was miraculously introduced to an AA member and had a meeting? Okay, well, these are the people you need to get connected to so that you can continue on that lineage of service. It's a great way to keep it fresh. Thank you so much. See you next week. Thank you.
From the fourth of the first edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From there is a solution also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. So this is an open meeting. As such, all who have interest in alcoholism and the program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. Could I have a show of hands of people joining us for the first time? Anybody at this meeting for the first time? Cool. Stand up and introduce yourselves real quick. Let's do it that way today. Your name, sir. Fantastic. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Jim. Hey, Eric. Glad you guys are here. Welcome. And the whole thing of anonymity. We record this meeting because we podcast it later on. So there's a, a Group participation where the mic goes around for question and answer. If you don't want to participate and have your voice up on the Internet, just pass the mic to the person next to you or creatively disguise your voice with a French accent tonight. Uh-huh. Bonjour. Right. <laughs> like, can we have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room? And if your hand's not up, I suggest you talk to the folks whose hands are. They'll get you connected to God. And guess what? No more detox. While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. So does anybody not have a big book in front of you right now? This is a big book study, so it's kind of helpful to have it. Good. Every welcoming team, you scored good tonight. Before we begin our study of the big book, last week we reviewed Tradition 1 with Rob, which was excellent. And tonight, let's make a quick review of Tradition 2. Please refer in the unabridged book. Page 562 in the unabridged, 177 in the skinny mini. Hi, Rob. Hi. My name's Rob, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Rob. Tradition 2, as said, 178 in the skinny mini. Uh, so the short form, which, yes, it's longer than the long form on this one, uh, it says, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And on the short form, on the next page, tradition two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Uh, so last week I, I shared a bit on, on how this was taught to me uh, when I first started learning traditions. And um, the way it was described to me is we have the same basic layout in all of our uh, 12s, right? Our 12 steps, our 12 traditions, and our 12 concepts. Uh, that that uh, structure being our first one is kind of like our problem statement, right? Um, step one, admitted we were alcoholic. Uh, tradition one, we have a problem of unity uh, within... Alcoholics Anonymous. So the second step would be our solution, right? Power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Our second tradition for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscious. That's our spiritual solution. And all the rest of the steps support, you know, the second 
uh, step solution and all the rest of the traditions support this solution in um, tradition two, which is to solve for our problem of unity. Um, all of that to say that that is my personal problem too. And I think uh, especially when I'm in active alcoholism, I have a problem of unity. And I think um, that's why I drank was, was this, uh, I wanted to feel the spirits uh, inside of me that made me feel connected to my fellow man, right? And I, I know a lot of you will relate to that. This, that's the only time I felt connected to my fellow man is when I had my solution, which was alcohol before. Uh, now in sobriety, because alcohol doesn't do it for me anymore, it's God, right? And that's how I get connected to my fellow man. That's how I solve my problem of unity. And when there's no God, there's, there's a lot of ego for Rob. Um, you know, and I've heard it said, ego is edging God out, right? That's where um, my alcoholic brain starts to judge you and starts to separate me from you. And that's how uh, Chuck C. defined ego is that, that feeling of being separate from my fellow man. Uh, so to make sure that our group does not fall victim to that separateness, uh, to make sure that the group stays unified, we have a bunch of members that uh, hopefully have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the 12 steps, and the group stays God-centered through the group conscience. And the group conscience is just that. It's the conscience of the group, right? And you'll, you'll feel this as you go into different groups, um, different feels, different environments, and different meetings. Um, you probably had quite a different feel coming to this meeting for the first time for, for those that are just visiting uh, I heard a couple of reactions, actually, uh, from some first-time people here tonight. And, um, you know, you can feel the conscience of the group. And so maybe this might have started off in, you know, uh, Mike Chase's basement, if we had basements in Florida or uh, in the Red Room or wherever that was. And, you know, he started a big book study and, you know, kind of set some guidelines and rules and, and how it is. But as the group grows, um, you know, that's when the group conscience comes in. And it's no longer the Mike Chase show because... Uh, how could we truly be uh, under that ultimate authority if it's the Mike Chase show, right? Uh, as much as we would love that show, it would be very entertaining. Uh, we, you know, our group purpose is to make sure that we um, are helping the sick and suffering alcoholic and, and God is present in the group conscience to make sure that that's the case. Uh, I've been a part of a lot of business meetings and group conscience that, you know, we get these wildly opposing ideas and and, um, you know, we talk through through the group conscience in the business meeting and we come to this uh, happy medium and, and looking back on them, you can see God's fingerprints all over it. I'm always reminded uh, I, there's like I don't remember which week of the month it is. I, I need to start keeping track. But when my wife's home group has their business meeting, I'm always like, what happened? You know, because it's <laughs> it's a women's group and it's just. <laughs> to be to be a fly on the wall, I swear they probably cry every time. Uh, just I get the recap every time. It's not gossip, you know. Alcoholics are good at observing and reporting. It's not gossip. Um, so, but I, it's always great because my wife's super animated and she's telling the story and like how she stood up for this and this person went, you know, disagreed with it. They were storming out of the room and I get to hear all the, you know, from a very separate point, get to hear all the different points of view and uh, then what they ultimately come to. And you can see truly, um, you know, those extremes balance each other out. And then ultimately the group gets to where they're supposed to be uh, through that group conscience. So it's a pretty cool thing to watch and super grateful for this tradition. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks for sure.
In order for us to stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide, which was prepared by Krusty Cliff with the aid of Joe and Charlie. Krusty Cliff was a founder of the uh, Dallas Primary Purpose Group. Tonight, we're going to have Lexi come up here and be our reader. Yay! About a year and a half from now, it's going to be the Lexi show up here. Yeah. And tonight, we're going to begin on page 177 in the big book and 173 in the abridged skinny book. They're both big books, I guess, so it's confusing to say that way. Uh, Yeah. After the page is read by Lexi, the pages are read, we're going to ask questions from the podium starting back at the top of page 177 or whatever page he said for the small book. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified, and multi-part questions are simply one-sentence answers split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other bits, fun bits of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're going to read the material once through and then redissect the information a second time through the question-and-answer format. Uh, notice how the language in the questions gives us new light in which to consider the study material. Uh, basically, in language, what that means is uh, this is important because hearing the questions and rereading the content offers a definite way to get a lot of this, comprehending the material we just covered. After we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, observations based on the area we just read. If you have spiritual experience with that information, you are free to share. If you don't, feel free to listen along or ask a question. Uh, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed than in different, i.e., sponsorship setting, please do not be offended when Mike S. in the back cuts that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. You know, you can never go wrong by commenting on the pages, which brings us to the words of the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, one of them at least, Bill W., sobriety, freedom from alcohol, and the teachings and the practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of an Alcoholics Anonymous group. Mm-hmm. So... We are wrapping up our 2018-2019 session tonight. We're going to be finishing up Dr. Bob's story. And uh, so that's going to be a hoot to get that over and done with. So we hope to get through that pretty quick. But we just didn't say, hey, let's wrap up Dr. Bob's story tonight. We uh, actually, it's called uh, Bob and Bob's Nightmare. Get that right, right? So, um, gosh, what was it? 85 weeks ago, we started on page zero. Mm-hmm. which was the forwards, and the main purpose of the forwards was what? The main purpose of the, the forwards is to introduce us to the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and the program that's outlined in this book. If we're going to be coming to meetings for the rest of our lives, we should have an idea of the tradition of what we're getting ourselves into. So it talks about uh, the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, helpfulness to others, restitution to those harmed, and the necessity of belief in and dependence upon God. And then after that, we get into the... Doctor's opinion. You know, the first part of the book is broken up into uh, four sections. The first part is the problem. The second part is the solution. The third part is a program of action. And then the part uh, a little later on is a gift from God. It's the pre-Alanon stuff. So we got the doctor's opinion, which basically justifies the, 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 the reasoning for Alcoholics Anonymous in the first place. It brings about the disease idea of alcoholism. And, and what does that look like, you may ask? Well, we have a chapter called... Bill's story. Bill's story shows us what alcoholism looks like in a human being in their life and what a recovery looks like in, a, in the same human being. And uh, you notice in, up to this point, there's been a lot of talk about God and spirituality. So it's kind of important how that plays with alcoholism. So we got a complete chapter called There's a Solution, which touches on how alcoholism and spirituality work to a solution. And um, 
you know, that's a, that's a tall order for a lot of people, considering if you think you just like join sober softball or, you know, go to meetings for the rest of your life. We're going to have to figure out what happens to people who are alcoholic who don't follow through with the program of action. And so we got a chapter on that called. More about alcoholism. More about alcoholism is also known as the chapter on relapse. We explore the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking and talk about what my mind does that tricks me into picking up that first drink every time I relapse. And uh, in order for me to have a spiritual experience, a new relationship with God, I have to get rid of all of my old ideas and beliefs that were blocking me from having that in the first place. I came in here not on God's good side, and he wasn't on my good side. We weren't even talking to each other. And agnostic I was. I was without knowledge. My old ideas and beliefs of spirituality and God and religion and my place in society was all messed up because I was a messed up drunk. So we have that chapter, We Agnostics, which allows me to lay all my ideas out on a table, reevaluate wait, come up with some new ones, adjust some old ones, just take some of that junk and throw it away so uh, I can develop this relationship with God. And, and when I'm comfortable with that, by the way, you've already read mm, four chapters, forwards, and the doctor's opinion. So hopefully by the time you get to We Agnostics, you're cool with the God idea and you're cool with doing the work that's going to follow in this next chapter. And it's about time for us to what? Read. Read how it works. Who here has ever been to an AA meeting where how it works was read? Anyone? And it, it ends with C, right? God uh, could and would if he were sought. And then it goes, being What's convinced. The, yeah, the punchline. We were at step three. <laughs> and so it talks about step three and how to write a fourth step inventory and why we should do those things. And that's pretty much how it works. And then once we do the fourth step instructions and the third step prayer, we have a... It's time to sit around and do nothing for a while. Actually, we've got a chapter called Into Action. We've got seven steps in this thing. We've got the fifth step, the sixth step, the seventh step, the eighth step, the ninth step, the tenth step, and the eleventh step. If you want to know what those things are like, who's willing to sponsor? Raise your hand. Talk to one of those folks, which leads us to the final chapter. Now that you've had a spiritual experience, what's the best thing to do with it? And we call that chapter... Working with others. It begins by telling us that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics, and it works when other activities fail. fail. And it talks about how to go about that initial conversation with the alcoholic, relate to them, and get them involved in this program of recovery. So we get this back part of the book. It's to the wives, to the family afterwards, to the employers, which what I like to refer to as pre-Allen. Back in the old, 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 old days, the 40s and early 50s and, and early 60s, uh, the alcoholic, whether it be the husband, the wife, the brother, the sister, the father, the son, they're getting sober in one part of the house or one part of the church or one part of the school, you know, in an AA meeting. And then the family, friends, and employers need to find out about alcoholism is too. So to the wives is to the wives, boyfriends, husbands, significant other partner uh the family afterwards is how to deal with dad after we found a solution see before that nobody knew how to deal with drunk dad drunk mom drunk you know so we got this thing to the family afterwards it prepares people who are associated with how to deal with this revolutionary change we hope we go through and then we also have a chapter to employers which starts to give you know the the front line like who was the first person to really notice we had drinking problems in our lives <laughs> the boss Right? Yeah. So then they had, they're just, what's wrong with you, Mike Chase, you know? So we got the chapter to give to these guys. So we get a little bit of help on the front line. They know where to, to send us. Rather than just kicking us out the door for being who we are, they'll realize that we have a disease and there's a solution. And if you want the solution, you can keep your job. If not, bye-bye. So we did another thing called the vision for you, which we like to refer to as like a gift of God. It, it, it's you read that after you've been through the steps and sober a little while, and it's a good check. If you're reading that thing, and you're going like, yep. Yep, 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 yep. You're doing good. If you're reading that stuff and going like, hmm, not doing that. Ooh, ooh, I'm supposed to do that. And 
What's that like? You know, it might be a good kick in the behind to get off your butt and start working the program again. Maybe work with others and change your life around. Um, our main co-founders were Dr. Bob and Bill W. Bill's story was the first, so it's very appropriate, we think, to wrap up with Dr. Bob's story. Um, he was uh, a butt doctor, proctologist <laughs> in uh, Akron, Ohio. Uh, him and Dr. Bob met on Mother's Day 1935, and that's but a lot of people think when Alcoholics Anonymous started, Dr. Bob was a struggling, sober, recovered alcoholic. Bill W. was a recovered, sober, alcoholic, struggling with trying to stay sober. And instead of going to one of them, their Oxford group meetings and complaining about his day, he knew he had to track down a suffering alcoholic who happened to be Dr. Bob. So that's what we're going to find out about. Too. As a matter of fact, we're into when Bob finally meets Dr. Bill W. for the first time. So we're going to start on... What page do you have? What's the page before? Pick something over on 170 in, before that. Yeah, 172 in the skinny mini version about the time of the beer experiment. That's where we're going to start reading, and then we're going to start our study on 173 about this time a lady called up my wife. Who tried other less problematic substances to control your addiction and alcohol? Like, who tried the <laughs> marijuana maintenance? You know, who tried schnapps? And... <laughs> At least you had good breath when you passed out, right? So that's where we're coming off to. He's like, he was given a solution other than alcohol, than recovery. You know, they had the beer thing in, in California for a while. When AA first started, beer was part of the AA program back there. It didn't work out very good. It changed that. Clarence, I think Clancy came along and got rid of that idea. So why don't you start reading, kiddo? We're going yeah, can you turn her that's on? That's a treat. There we go. I'm on. Hi, everyone. I'm Lexi. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Welcome back, Lexi. And we're starting on the first full paragraph of 172. About the time of the beer experiment, I was thrown in with a crowd of people who attracted me because of their seeming poise, health, and happiness. They spoke with great freedom from embarrassment, which I could never do. And they seemed very much at ease on all occasions and appeared very healthy. More than these attributes... They seemed to be happy. I was self-conscious and ill at ease most of the time. My health was at the breaking point, and I was thoroughly miserable. I sensed they had something I did not have, from which I might readily profit. I learned that it was something of a spiritual nature, which did not appeal to me very much, but I thought it could do no harm. I gave the matter much time and study for the next two and a half years, but I still got tight every night, nevertheless. I read everything I could find and talked to everyone who I thought knew anything about it. My wife became deeply interested, and it was her interest that sustained mine, though I at no time sensed that it might be an answer to my liquor problem. How my wife, how my wife kept her faith and courage during all those years, I'll never know, but she did. If she had not, I know I would have been dead a long time ago. Bless you. Bless you. For some reason, we alcoholics seem to have the gift of picking out the world's finest women. Mm -hmm. Why they should be subjected to the tortures we inflict upon them, I cannot explain. About this time, a lady called up my wife one Saturday afternoon, saying she wanted to come over that evening to meet a friend of hers who might help me. It was the day before Mother's Day, and I had come home plastered. Carrying a big potted plant, which I had set down on the table, and forthwith went upstairs and passed out. The next day, she called again. Wishing to be polite, though I felt very badly, I said, let's make the call. 
and extracted from my wife a promise that we would not stay over 15 minutes. We entered her house at exactly 5 o'clock, and it was 11.15 when we left. I had a couple of shorter talks with this man afterward and stopped drinking abruptly. This dry spell lasted for about three weeks. Then I went to Atlantic City to attend several days' meetings on a national society of which I was a member. I drank all the scotch they had on the train and bought several quarts on my way to the hotel. This was on Sunday night. I got tight that night, stayed sober till Monday till after the dinner, and then proceeded to get tight again. I drank all I dared in the bar and then went to my room to finish the job. Tuesday, I started in the morning, getting well organized by noon. I did not want to disgrace myself, so I then checked out. I bought some more liquor on the way to the depot. I had to wait some time for the train. I remember nothing from then on until I woke up at a friend's house in a town near home. These good people notified my wife, who sent my newly made friend over to get me. He came and got me home and to bed, gave me a few drinks that night, and one bottle of beer the next morning. That was June 10th, 1935, and that was my last drink. As I write, nearly four years have passed. The question which might naturally come into your mind would be, what did the man do or say that was different from what others had done or said? It must be remembered that I had read a great deal and talked to everyone who knew or thought they knew anything about the subject of alcoholism. But this was a man who had experienced many years of frightful drinking, who had had most all the drunkard's experience known to man, but who had but who had been cured by the very means I had been trying to employ, that is to say, the spiritual approach. He gave me information about the subject of alcoholism, which was undoubtedly helpful. Of far more importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked, who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. In other words, he talked my language. He knew all the answers, and certainly not because he had picked them up in his reading. It is a most wonderful blessing to be relieved of the terrible curse which I was afflicted. My health is good, and I have regained my self-respect and the respect of my colleagues. My home life is ideal, and my business is as good as can be expected in these uncertain times. I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learn to others who want and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. One, a sense of duty. Two, because it is a pleasure. Three, because in so doing, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. Four, because every time I do, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. Unlike most of our crowd, I did not get over my craving for liquor much during the first two and one-half years of abstinence. It was almost always with me. But at no time have I been anywhere near yielding. I used to get terribly upset when I saw my friends drink and knew I could not. But I schooled myself to believe that though I once had the same privilege, I had abused it so frightfully that it was withdrawn. So it doesn't behoove me to squawk about it, for, after all, nobody ever had to throw me down and pour liquor down my throat. 
If you think you are an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic, or of any other form of intellectual pride which keeps you from accepting what is in this book, I feel sorry for you. If you still think you are strong enough to beat the game alone, that is your affair. But if you really and truly want to quit drinking liquor for good and all, and sincerely feel that you must have some help, we know that we have an answer for you. It never fails if you go about it with one half the zeal you have been in the habit of showing when you are getting another drink. Your Heavenly Father will never let you down. Yeah, we're not going to read anymore. Yeah, we're well, we might. We can share. Start on page zero. You love it. So we're starting on 173 in the abridged book, 177 in the fatty patty. Actually, 179 in the big book. Oh, okay. Thank you. It's going to be uh, about this time a lady called up. First question. After about two and a half years with the Oxford group, what happened one Saturday afternoon? About this time, a lady called up my wife one Saturday afternoon saying she wanted me to come over that evening to meet a friend of hers who might help me. There's a comment in the book. The lady making the call was Henrietta Henrietta Cyberling, a close friend and member of the Oxford group. Ooh, three-part question. First question of that part. It was May 11th, 1935, the day before what celebration? B, what had Dr. Bob brought home to commemorate that day? And C... What condition was he in, and what did he do about it? Okay, it was the day before Mother's Day, and I had come home plastered, carrying a big potted plant, which I set down on the table, and forthwith went upstairs and passed out. What happened the next day? The next day, she called again. And a two-part question. First part, wishing to be polite, what did he agree to do? And B, how long was he willing to do it? Wishing to be polite, though I felt very badly, I said, let's make the call and extracted from my wife a promise that we would not stay over 15 minutes. Next paragraph. We have a two-part question again. When did he and Ann arrive at the gatehouse at the Cyberlene Estate? And B, how long did the 15 minutes last? We entered her house at exactly 5 o'clock, and it was 11.15 when we left. Who's mathematically inclined? How many hours is that? Yeah, must have got it, right? Next question, two-part again. What did he later have with Bill? What happened as an apparent result of their talks? I had a couple shorter talks with this man afterward and stopped drinking abruptly. How long did it last is the first part of this two-part question, and the second part of that would be, where did Dr. Bob go? This dry spell lasted for about three weeks, and then I went to Atlantic City to attend several day meetings of a national society of which I was a member. Right. Next two-part question again. What did he relieve the? What did he? I love this. What did he relieve the train of? And B. Then he purchased what? I drank all the scotch they had on the train, and then I bought several quarts on the way to the hotel. Wow. What day was that? This was Sunday. Three-part question. Scott, do you want to take this question? (laughs) Part A, what did he do that night? Part B, what did he do Monday? C, and then he proceeded to do what? I got tight that night, stayed sober Monday till after the dinner, and then proceeded to get tight again. 
many people's drinking experiences seem like three-part events, too? It's like on and on. Where did he do this drinking? I drank all I dared at the bar and then went to my room to finish the job. And next question. How'd Tuesday go? Tuesday. I then went to my room to finish the job. And I would have liked him. Um, To avoid embarrassment, what did he do? I did not want to disgrace myself, so I then checked out. Good. Um, Where did he head for and when did he get it? And hold it, English. Where did he... where did he head for, and what did he get on the way? I bought some more liquor on the way to the depot. Good. And uh, what did he have to wait for? I had to wait some time for the train. Two-part question. What did he experience at that point? I remember nothing from then on until I woke up at a friend's house in a town near home. What did they do, and what did Annie do? These good people notified my wife, who sent my newly made friend over to get me. And what did Bill do with Dr. Bob? He came and got me home and to bed. Gave me a few drinks that night and one bottle of beer the next morning. Yeah. Um, Good. Next paragraph. What day was that? That was June 10th, 1935. Comment to a lot of people, June 10th, 1935 is considered the birth date of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we'll discuss that a little bit later on. Um, how long had Dr. Bob been sober when he wrote this story? As I write, nearly four years have passed. Next paragraph. What question would naturally come to the mind of most people? The question might naturally come into your mind would be, what did the man do or say that was different from what others had done or said? What must be remembered? It must be remembered that I had to read a great deal and talked to everyone who knew or thought they knew anything about the subject of alcoholism. Bunch of ideas about it, but no real solutions, right? Um, Two-part question. Part A, what had Bill experienced that made the difference for Dr. Bob? And B, what had each of these two men tried that worked for Bill but didn't work for Dr. Bob? But this was a man who experienced many years of fright for drinking, who had had most all the drunkard's experiences known to man, but who had been cured by the very means I had been trying to employ, that is to say, the spiritual approach. What information did Bill have that Dr. Bob did not have? He gave me information on the subject of alcoholism, which was undoubtedly helpful. And what is that little secret phrase we use? The phenomenon of craving. Um, What was the single most important thing that helped Dr. Bob? In other words, Bill did what? Of far more importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. And what did Bill know? He knew all the answers, and certainly not because he had picked them up in his reading. Yeah, part, no, next paragraph. What was the most wonderful blessing? It is a most wonderful blessing to be relieved of the terrible curse with which I was afflicted. What three things did he say he had regained? My health is good, and I have regained my self-respect and the respect of my colleagues. And what other two things were good? My home life. 
My home life is ideal, and my business is as good as it can be expected in these certain times. And this is the last paragraph on page one, wherever you're at. Um, 174. You guys are in different books than me. I'll just mess you up even more, right? Uh, diddly do. What did Dr. Bob say? No. What did Dr. Bob say he did with great deal of his time? I spent a great deal of my time passing on what I learned to others who want and need it badly. Oh, does he tell us why? I do it for... I do it for four reasons. Good. What is the... Okay. Flip the page. Oh, one, sense of duty? Nope. I got to ask a question first. All right. Go ahead. Ready? (laughs) Reason one. Sense of duty. Reason two. It's a pleasure. Reason three. Because in in so doing, I am paying my debt to the man who took the time to pass it on to me. Oh, read that one. Everybody just listens. Read that very quietly and specifically. Because every time I do it, I take out a little more. I'm sorry. Because in so doing, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And reason four. Because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. Next paragraph, two-part question. What did Dr. Bob experience in early sobriety? How long did this last? Unlike most of our crowd, I did not get over my craving for liquor much during the first two and one-half years of abstinence. Did you guys know that Dr. Bob didn't get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, by the way? He got sober in the Oxford group, didn't he? He didn't have the full benefit of the full 12 steps. He didn't have the benefit of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Just keep that in mind, perhaps. Boom. Um, Where was I? Oh, um, was it an occasional thing? It was all, excuse me, it was almost always with me. But at no time was he what? But at no time have I had, have I been anywhere near yielding? Two-part question. What used to upset him? What thinking did he develop to combat that? I used to get terribly upset when I saw my friends drink and knew I could not. But I schooled myself to believe that though I once had the same privilege, I had abused it so frightfully that it was withdrawn. Two-part question. I love this word. It didn't behoove him to do what? Wasn't. Why was that? So it doesn't behoove him, behoove me to squawk about about it for after all nobody ever had to throw me down and pour liquor down my throat uh, three part question I think it's what kind of folks did he mention what would keep them from what what were his feelings for those folks if you think you're an, an atheist an agnostic a skeptic or you or have any other form of intellectual pride which keeps you from accepting what is in this book I feel sorry for you what if you think you can handle your drinking on your own? If you still think you are strong enough to beat the game alone, that is your affair. Three-part question. What if you really and truly want to do what and sincerely feel you need what? What do we know? But if you really and truly want to quit drinking liquor for good and all and sincerely feel that way, you must have, you must have some help. We know that we have an answer for you. Two-part question. Is, it a reliable, is this a reliable way? And part B, if you will do what? It never fails. If you go about with 
If you go about it with one half of the zeal, you have been in the habit of showing when you are getting another drink. Heaven, and it ends up by saying your heavenly father will never let you down. This part of the book is open for conversation, (laughs) questions, comments. If you have something that you can relate to this, this is what we do. And then we talk about it. You know what I, what I noticed, Mike Chase, on 174 in italics, of far more experience, uh, importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked who knew what he was talking about with regard to alcoholism from actual experience. And now if we go back to 18 in italics, page 18, but the ex-problem drinker who has found the solution, who is properly armed with the facts about himself, can generally win the entire confidence of another alcoholic in a few hours. Yeah. Until such an understanding is reached, little or nothing can be accomplished. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Tanisha, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Tanisha. I remember reading this in my big book study um, on Tuesdays in Brickell. That was my first home group. And I remember I had, pre- I had like, just, you know, started with the steps. And I would always wonder, like, why is my sponsor doing this? Why is she... You know, giving her time on Saturday where she could be doing other things. Why does she care so much about me? Why does, like, what is it with these people? Why why do they, you know, dedicate their time and energy to trying to help me, you know, with my life and my problems and, you know, my wrongdoings and what is up with this? And I remember reading this for the first time. Um... I spent a great deal of time passing on what I learned to others who want and need it badly. That was me. I was just a world of trouble. I had no other way out. I had my back against the wall. I literally surrendered before I even knew what surrendering was. You know, and um, I continue. I do it for four reasons. One, sense of duty. That's the responsibility of AA, right? Two, it is a pleasure. Like, I was so selfish and self-centered. I just thought that whatever I gained out of anything, that was a pleasure. To actually see someone's well-being, you know, be brought from the bottom on up, you know, and to see them flourish right before my eyes, like my sponsor says, to have a front row seat of someone's recovery. And then three, because in so doing, I'm paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. And that's the time that I, you know, I'm talking about with my sponsor, you know, getting on the phone and calling her, you know, going to conferences, not knowing where in the hell am I going? That is not a curse word. It's a place, but you know, and then four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip, you know, and right there, like I started balling in this meeting because I got it. I understood it finally for the first time why she was doing it for me and at the same time doing it for her. And that's really what this June 10th, 1935 is built upon. It's working with others. So don't be afraid to get those numbers. Don't be afraid to, you know, step to that man or woman and just stick out your hand and introduce yourself and just say, hey, we want my number, you know, instead of waiting for them to ask it because you never know when they could actually 
ring you and they would be saving your life. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks for sharing. Thanks. John. John, alcoholic. Hey, John. Um, this line right here kind of like blew my mind. I've read this a million times and I never got it until right now. Um, it's the part where it says, I used to get terribly upset when I saw my friends drink and I knew I could not. <clears throat> but I schooled myself to believe that though I had once had the same privilege, I had abused it so frightfully that it was, that I, that it was withdrawn. Like it was taken from me. And it was just like, it was wow. Like I just finally understood that. I still get upset when I see other people drink and get drunk. Like I don't know why it just bothers me. But I guess it doesn't have to anymore. Because um, I abused it. So it makes sense now. I don't know. It just blew my mind. So thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks. This actually used to comfort me a lot when I was in treatment for my second time in a couple months and, and I was experiencing this obsession to drink. And he, he actually talks about the obsession as craving here, right? It was, um, it was always with me. Uh, I didn't get over my craving for liquor much during the first two and a half years of abstinence. And I was like, wow, this is one of the founders. He's in the book. He still experienced this obsession for two and a half years. And it, I got some hope from that because I was like, is this ever going to end? Yeah, I, I've been up here flipping through the book, and and one of the mo- and I, it's like sometimes God just hides stuff from me. From you know, you read through the book, and I was like, oh my God, where'd that come from? I'm looking for the part of the book where Bill talks about how uh, he had gone to New York and it, or gone to Akron and had failed, you know, and he was thinking about maybe drinking, and he made a decision that he had to, like track down another alcoholic to work with. Forward, is that it? Forward to the second edition. Oh, let me read that part then. Good. I knew it was hiding from me somewhere. I was reading up in the other parts of it. There it is. I found it already. Good. Um, but the, the, the whole important part about you know, inches or inches or seconds or feet or minutes, however you want to talk about that kind of stuff, the fact that you know, Bill had gone to Akron to get his life together, to get powerful and rich and to get on with his life, which is a lucky he didn't because he probably wouldn't have done this. But he was struggling, had failed, and he was struggling. And he had a couple of choices. You know, he, got, he woke up one Saturday morning, decided to spend another week there and try to save the deal. He woke up a Saturday morning, got up and wandered around downtown Akron for as long as you could, maybe an hour and a half before he got bored and came back to the hotel. And there was this event getting ready to start down the hall, you know, this type of fundraiser type event apparently was going to start. And he poked his head in there, saw a little bit of excitement in there. And then he walked down, you know, he's just bored. And all of a sudden he figures, you know, I could probably go sit in there and have a ginger ale, meet somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. And then that crossed his mind. And then he thinks, you know, I could probably go in there. I love this part. I could probably go in there and have two or three drinks. I've been sober long enough, you know? And that rattled him. That rattled him enough to realize, and which is the cool thing about being recovered. He knew he had to do something. Now, he could have gone to the Oxford group, you know, tracked down an Oxford group and gone and complained and moaned about his day, which he knew would have been a temporary fix. What did he do? He went to the, you know, he went to the church directory. He called like 12 different, I love the number 12 keeps popping up in this program, 12 different churches, 10 different phone numbers, tracked down a bunch of people, got this Henrietta Cyberlene on the phone, had to convince her that he was a drunk, finally accepted that he was. They came over and Dr. Bob met Bill W., you know, this is a guy who went so out of his way to stay sober. This is, this is the days when they actually had to fight for this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And the magic that happened was there was this fundraiser going on at that hotel that later that day. It was a fundraiser for Sister Ignacia's drunk floor for the alcoholics and stuff like that. Dr. Bob had been invited to that but just wasn't there. So if Bill W. had gone into that place, I like to think of it, you know, Bill walked into the place, looked around, went up to the bar, asked the bartender for a ginger ale. 
Now, what does any good alcoholic do when they hear some guy order ginger ale? It's like, <laughs> what? Aren't you drinking, little boy? And Dr. And Bill W. would have looked at Dr. Bob and said, well, I'll tell you why. But he wasn't there, which is kind of cool. So he makes a bunch of phone calls and tracks him down at his house. And Dr. Bob, who's been struggling to get sober. I mean, this guy's doing everything. Him and his wife are seeking so much God and so much Jesus. They're just, oh, totally. But he missed the most important fact. No matter how spiritually fit you are, you put alcohol in your body. What gets triggered, Chris? The phenomenon of craving. So he leaves those Oxford group meetings just feeling, oh, my God, he's so happy, joyous, and free, you know? And him and her go celebrate with a glass of sherry, and he goes on another run for a couple of days. The best information that Bill W. gave Dr. Bob was, you can't have the first drink. And Dr. Bob probably said, well, that's no problem. I won't drink. And what was Bill's reaction? Well, that's the problem because you're going to come up with a reason mm-hmm. to. So you talk drunk to a drunk when you first meet him. And, and thank God we have a book to follow, right? Because Bill had been struggling for how many, six months was it? Three months or so trying to get drunks off the get drunk sober, you know? He's ripping them off the bar stools, telling them about you had this white light experience, you know, scaring the bedizzles out of them. And, and Dr. Dr. Silky tells him finally, just before he goes to Cleve or Akron, he says, listen, Bill, I've listened to you. You're scaring these people with all this white light talk. Talk drunk to a drunk. You, you know that Bill, you knew that Ebby was a drunk. You knew what the kind of drunk Ebby was. And Ebby came to you and he told, and you knew what he was like. So this is the first time Bill sat down and talked drunk to the drunk. And they, they started matching each other's drunk stories. They started matching the inability to stop or stay stop. And then he slid in with the God thing. And here's the, here's the gold ringer, right? Dr. Bob was already cool with the God thing. He was missing the don't drink stuff. So he did as best as he can, but he was fearful of what? going out to the people he had harmed for fear that it would ruin his life. You know that part of our life we don't turn over to God? You know, the sex life, the money life, the housing life. That's was his, that was his downfall. There's somewhere between page zero and page 84, we do something that cracks us open and God comes in and, and recovers us. His fear was letting people know he was drunk, even though everybody knew. So he comes back, he goes in, he gets drunk. Has a beer and takes some goofballs. Goes in and does some proctology surgery on some poor guy. <laughs> Nobody knows if he lived or died. That's sort of cool. But um, he went out and made amends that night. That was that one little thing that was holding Dr. Bob back from flipping and being completely willing to let God come in and rush him. Of course, he didn't have steps seven, six or seven. And I'm sure Dr. Bob didn't have steps you know, 11 laid out for him, which is, might explain why he was so rocky in the early times. You know, we're just lucky we got the 12 steps. Who's, who's got, who was sober for, you know, two years and still craving it, obsessing over it? Not wanting, but once you work it, you know, that pretty much goes with that cool thing about the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. And we Who got can a, share on that? We got an into action that tells us that with step nine, remember it was agreed we'd go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. So we get this warning. We get these cool little warrant. They're like paths along the spiritual path. You get a sign that's like, here's... A sign turn this way. Dr. Bob was just fly, the flying blind period. The flying yeah. blind period has ended. Yeah, did I see a hand over there? I think I see a little hand coming up there. Oh, I Bob, see, I Rob. Yes. A rub. Imagine if Bill and Bob just said, yeah, let's just keep this to ourselves. Hi, my name is Rob, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Rob. Hey, Rob. Uh, I mean, you, you just, the, the two and a half years, I couldn't imagine, you know, thank God they wrote it down and, and we have the path that we have today that, 
that um, gets the job done every time when we when we work it. That's the the guarantee of Alcoholics Anonymous is that spiritual um, awakening as a result of these steps. That's the guarantee in, in step twelve. This this book is full of many promises for me. Um, I, I can't remember the exact day, but I would say I was probably, I don't know, 45 days into the program, and that was first 30 without a sponsor, right? As soon as I got into the work of the book and uh, just past my fifth step was the first time I became aware that the obsession had left me, you know? Uh, it talks about it in the 10-step promises that we were placed in a position of neutrality, but I remember driving down the road uh, shortly after my fifth step just being like, oh, my gosh, like, I haven't thought about a drink in a few days now, you know, and I'm driving by my liquor store without like doing one of these, like to see what's going on with it. Like there's some kind of action happening there. Um, but that was just like what I did in my early sobriety because I was just so used to, you know, uh, living the way that I'd been living. And, and, um, I can say as a result of these steps in this program that that, that obsession has never returned in nearly seven years. So that's the absolute uh, miracle of this program. And, um, you know, I love this italicized portion here of far more importance. The fact that he was a living human with whom I talked to, knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. And that's like after running our lives into the absolute dirt, you know, on self-will, we get to come out the other side and be uniquely useful where nobody else can be, right? All these people who um, study alcoholism, who you know, uh, therapists and, and, you know, sober coaches and all these things. Um, they, they try to learn about alcoholism, but if they've never experienced it, we can't relate to that, you know, and, and we're probably not going to be honest with those people anyway, you know, all the, the therapists and, and like that. But here is, you know, just a group of drunks that are sharing our experience and saying, Hey brother, there's a way out. I've been there too. I felt like you felt, I drank like you drank, come this way. There's this God thing that's going to help us out. And there's, some pretty simple uh, directions laid out for us that we can follow to to get through the other side, and that's that's pretty incredible to be to be able to be useful after being um, <laughs> anything but in active alcoholism. You know, it says it in the twelve and twelve. The the purpose of the twelve steps are you know principles that are spiritual in nature that um, expel the obsession to drink and enable the uh, user to live a happily happily and usefully whole. I was anything but happily and usefully whole when I was out there in active alcoholism. Um, and, and I love this too, all, all of his reasons here, but it is a pleasure. That's the one for me that, that I can relate to the most. Um, working with another alcoholic, you know, Chuck, Chuck C said it all the time. We do it for free and, and for fun because we love it. You know, there's nothing that uplifts us more than working with another alcoholic. That's, that's definitely been my experience. And not only does that uplift me, but then like, when I'm connected like that, everything in life is richer and everything in life is better. I enjoy my family more. I enjoy, um, you know, my work more. I enjoy the, everyone that I interact with when I'm, you know, able to, to be of service in this way, get outside myself and, you know, just help the next guy who's sick and suffering and so they can join us in the trenches. So super grateful that they didn't just keep it to themselves, you know, and you, you think about like the ripples of success that, that have, permeated i was just listening to something today that was like i think again it might have been chuck c talking to somebody and he's like if if you were to you know 
capture the light that has entered the world as a result of the movement of Alcoholics Anonymous, like it would burn your eyes out. It would be so bright, you know, when you think about the thousands uh, of years of human existence in this short little chapter that we're in, like post 1935 that we get to be in where the alcoholic gets to recover, you know, no longer is suicide or uh, institution the only way out. You know, we get to recover and we get to, to pass this thing on and all the millions of people that have been affected by Bill and Bob's recovery, you know, I would suggest that every time one of us gets sober, and we, and we may not realize what the ripple effect of that is. Sometimes we see it, and it's pretty recognizable, but every time one of us gets sober, we send the same ripples of success out into the universe. So it's pretty awesome. Thanks. Thanks you know, you, you try to talk to somebody about the physical allergy, they don't get it. If you're not an alcoholic and you never suffer from the physical allergy, you can't relate to it. You know, if you've never recovered from alcoholism, you can't you have a hard time trying to explain that. You can't imagine what that feels like. If you've never sat down and read a couple of chapters with a newcomer, you can't imagine what that's like. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of people who've just started reading with newcomers just recently. Does anybody want to share on their experience of just starting to read with somebody? Early recovery? Tanner? We got a minute? Give him the microphone. <laughs> Because if you've never tasted, if you've never gone to uh, Morrison's, Maury's Steakhouse and bought the porterhouse for $230, you've never tasted that, you can't imagine paying for that. <laughs> if you've never sponsored anybody or, or even read with somebody, you can't imagine what it's like. So it's kind of cool to hear from a, a newer person what it's like to just sit down and read with somebody. Hi. I'm Tanner. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Tanner. Tanner. Talking to the fuzzy part. Um. I will say, first off, that um, whenever I whenever I, my attempts to get sober, I always I always wanted it, but I never had the guy that that really knew what he was doing, especially when I was like 17 and 18 and 19, and um, and then uh, it kind of just I got tired of it, I got bored of it, it uh, didn't seem appealing to me, but. Um, Um, but, uh, anyway, I just started reading with a guy and, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a new experience. Uh, I've had feelings of, you know, fear that I wasn't going to be good enough or this or that, but really, honestly, the last, the last sentence, uh, sums it all up. Your heavenly father will never let you down. And, uh, God is constantly reminding me each and every day that he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is all-loving, caring, kind, considerate, and there's nothing that I need to worry about. And he is forgiving. So that's the greatest thing. Thanks that's for sharing. Sure. You know, when I'm working with guys, I'm sitting there reading, to read the book with a newcomer, and they're, I see the light come on, and I see God starting to get into their lives, you know, just by bringing them through the book, helping them find God. And, 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 and I know they're really, something as great has happened in their lives, and I always look at them and say, you know, I know you're going through something cool right now, but it's nothing compared to what it's going to be like when you're sitting in this seat. Mm. When you take time out of your day to work with a newcomer, to help them get over this deadly disease, to help them find God, that is the most amazing. And once you've done that, you're going to do it again, and you can do it again, and you're going to do it again. And if you never get the chance in early recovery, you may never do it, and you may never actually know the total recovered. You'll never know how, what you're missing if you don't do it. A friend of mine that used to be up here actually on this podium, Fred, I, I lived in the same halfway with him. And I remember one time he was all lit up after reading the book with a newcomer. I was brand new and still shaking. And he said, you know, man, I think there's an effect produced by booking. And he was just happy. And I was like, 
really? I was like, what? Man, I was like, but I, I there is scored that. And he's right, there is. I was very curious to try it myself, as I was with a lot of other things. So we successfully wrapped up the first part of the book. Next week, we start on page zero. Um, normally, we're supposed to have the new co-chair kick in, but he's currently doing the tradition. So you're stuck with me for a few more weeks. And then Robert's going to, Robert and Chris are going to start probably in... Uh, doctor's opinion together taking us through so check in next week tell your friends we're starting on page zero they can start sharing and raising their hands again grace uh this is the closing god will constantly disclose more to you and to us ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick the answers will come if your own house is in order but you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship Medallion. Do we have any members of AA that want to introduce people they're sponsoring, reading the book with? Anyone? Anybody. Okay, cool. If you'd like to become a member of... Does anybody need a sponsor? Raise your hands. Good. Everybody's sponsored. Uh, If you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a quick little membership card, name, sobriety date, and phone number. Is anybody celebrating a year or more of continuous sobriety that would like a medallion? How about next week? Is anybody celebrating a year or more in the month of October? Raise your hand. How much time you got there? How much? Yeah. What day will that be? Oh, so you'll be here? Great. Actually, somebody hopefully makes a cake. Can all home group members please raise your hand? And who's baking a cake? <laughs> nice, we got a hand. Excellent. Gonna... Uh, we'll see you guys all after to help tear down the meeting. Uh, by the way, we've been having a lot of people help show up, the, set up the meeting, which has been fun. The fellowship has been exciting and magnificent. Um, if you'd like, thanks for joining us. Hope to see you next week. Now, don't forget, this Thursday is Peter's last session. He will be doing a 12 session this week. Um, and then ne- next week after that, we've got um, Pat R. Mm-hmm. So that. Alcoholics and God is downstairs in the big room. Uh, set up and fellowship starts at 530. Come in any time during that time period. Uh, and we'll see you then. And if you would, please wait until you're 75 feet away from the doors until you smoke or vaporize. But if you're a vapor who's going to help tear down, you can go out on our balcony and vape your little heart content and come back in and help tear down. All right. That's kind of cool, huh? Should we close with the Lord's Prayer? Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Everybody just... If we ask, who will bring us from shame to grace? Guys, Thursday. Zero next week. Heart is heavy. Shoulders thirsty. Body's 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go.
song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Have a very good night.